All right. Good morning. That is a painting from Rembrandt. I'm sure you have heard of the painter. Hopefully you've heard of the painter Rembrandt, probably uh, one of the most famous painters of the 18th century. Uh, but yeah, that's his painting of Jesus on the cross. And of course, I'm sure you maybe know of uh, Jesus and uh, disciples on the Sea of Galilee, one of the more famous paintings that was stolen. Uh, but here he depicts Jesus in pain on the cross. And as we've already discussed, I, I know that we've all been in pain before. As already mentioned, there's been, of course, different levels, different kinds of pain. If you could go to the next slide, I'm sure you've seen this chart before. If you've ever been in the hospital, this pain chart. Yeah, I'm sure Eddie's had to show people and get them to show where their pain is at on this chart. Just a quick raise of hands. I'm sure this is, there's going to be no raise of hands. Uh, how many people have been at no pain? Like, meaning never, you've never been in pain. <laughs> exactly. There's not going to be a single hand raise. Uh, how about maybe have you ever gotten to intermediate pain? Number four. Have you been at a number four? But have, has that been the most? Who, who here is, that's, that's just the most you've ever been in pain, number four. All right, no, I didn't think so. How about a, a number six, severe pain? Yeah, 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 raise your hands. How about, for, that, for people, is that the most you've ever been in? Anybody? Number six? Number six? A little bit higher? You know, if I'm honest, that is, number six might be the most pain that, on the level of pain that I've been in. How about worst possible pain? Who here would say they've been at a number 10? All right, yeah. A good, well, maybe not a good raise of hands. <laughs> Meaning a good proportion of people here raising their hands for number 10. That's not good, but, uh, you know, we've all, we've all been at different levels of pain. Uh, in my own experience, I used to play soccer a whole lot. Uh, and then in my ninth and 10th grade year of high school, I had several injuries to the same knee. The trainers said that it was just a bruised bone, but it wasn't just a bruised bone. I went, got an MRI, and they discovered that I was dislocating my left kneecap every single time. The reason that we didn't know was because it would snap back into place before I could see it, which thankfully I didn't see it. That would be kind of gruesome to look down and see your kneecap on the side of your leg. Uh, but <laughs> that was not fun. And then the MRI also showed that I partially tore my patella tendon. Now, the first time that happened was most certainly the worst time. That was probably severe pain. I was wailing on the ground, not crying, but I was definitely yelling. Uh, terrible pain. And then the several that happened after that, those were more tolerable. Uh, but I don't know where you've been, but that's probably as much as I have been. Now, I think, I think God has certainly been at a 10. Like, no doubt about it, God has been at a 10. But not just that, I think there are some ways in which God has been in pain that we can't understand. Right? I think God certainly understands our pain, no doubt about it, but I think sometimes we don't understand the pain that God has been in. And in our text, Jesus, he's headed there. Right? This, this path he, he is on is a path of pain. There's a prophecy of Jesus' death, and of course he's going to the cross in which there's going to be tremendous pain. But before we get into our text today, I'm going to just give a little brief overview of what we covered so far. John chapter 11, a few weeks ago, we saw that God has done something about our pain. And because of what he has done, 
His glory is a result, and our belief is a result. And last week, we saw that God, Jesus, is with us in pain. Jesus understands our pain. He understood Mary and Martha. He understood uh, Lazarus' family. He understood the Jews that were there mourning with them. He knew what they were going through. And in today's sermon, we see that God has indeed been in pain. John chapter 11. John chapter 11, we'll start with verse 45. The text says, Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. Keyword, many. Right? Many believe. Now, maybe that's a little bit puzzling at first. They just saw Jesus raise somebody from the dead. Why just many? Why, why not all believe in Jesus if they just saw him raise somebody who's been in a tomb for four days? There was a recently a discussion, a debate going on between an atheist and William Lane Craig. William Lane Craig, he's just a an apologist, a theologian, and the atheist was saying that if God came down on earth and if God was towering above the clouds and he told me directly to believe, I would. And then William Lane Craig said, well, who's to say that you wouldn't say, wow, I must really be hallucinating right now. And you get his point there. Uh, for atheists who are very naturalistic, they have a, a scientific explanation for everything. It's, you know, he, he can't say whether or not he believed because he offers scientific explanations for everything else. Who's to say he wouldn't say you're hallucinating? Right? Maybe the, you know, there could be a number of reasons why not all people who saw Lazarus rise from the dead, maybe they just thought, you know what, uh, this is fake. Somehow they faked this. Maybe that was going on. But I think it can be summed up in Jesus' own words in John chapter 3. John chapter 3, verses 19 and 20. He says, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does or practices wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. I think it really boils down to that. People are in darkness. They might say they have this reason not to believe in Jesus, but I think it boils down to them being in darkness. Since they're in darkness, they don't want anything to do with the light. They want to stay in darkness. But regardless, the response at first in John chapter 11, the response is pretty positive. Uh, many people are believing. Continue on verse 46 of chapter 11. It says, But some of them, some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Perhaps like a child, right? Perhaps like a child when they've been, you know, think they've been wronged by their sibling, they go say, you know, I'm going to go tell mom. I'm going to go tell dad, right? I, I remember a time when, when I was maybe in... Uh, Seventh grade or sixth grade? I can't remember. Uh, I was younger, of course, uh, and I remember this time where my brother Mason did something to make me upset, uh, and then to get back at him, I put, <laughs> this is dumb, right? This is dumb. I put some ice in his shoes that he wears every, all the time. I put some ice in his shoes. My thought was when he puts his foot in the shoe, he's going to be like, oh my goodness, what is that? And then he also couldn't wear his shoes that day because they were going to be wet. Uh, that's how I got back at him, but I also remember him going to tell my mom that I had done that and then I got in trouble, right? So maybe that's the attitude here. Maybe they're like, you know what? We're going to go get you in trouble, Jesus. We don't want you doing any of this, so we're going to go tell mom. We're going to go tell dad. Verse 47 of chapter 11, it says, So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, What are we to do? For this man performs many signs, right? We can't have this going on. This guy can't just keep going on doing good. Verse 48, If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation, right? If this guy keeps doing good things, that's going to be a bad thing for us. Everybody's going to believe in him. 
which at first reading this, I was like, what is that? Everybody's going to believe in him. They're not, if it's not them, if they don't believe, that's not everybody. I think the implication is everybody that's not them. If Jesus keeps doing these things, everybody that's not them is going to believe. And if everybody that's not them believes, then they lose their influence. Right? Because all these people, they're going and believing in Jesus, and they're not listening to them anymore. They're more concerned about their influence. And evidently, they don't really trust God. Right? Who do they trust? According to verse 48, the Romans. They trust the Romans. And again, it's kind of funny that they say, the Romans will take away our place. They will take away our nation, as if the Romans hadn't already done that. Right? As if the Romans didn't come in and conquer them, as if the Romans didn't install a puppet king to do their bidding. They're more concerned about what the Romans offer them. They're more concerned about what the power they have, the worldly power they have. They're not concerned about what God has given them, which is Jesus which is the Deliverer, the Messiah, who is to deliver them. They'd rather remain in bondage with the little power that they think they have because of the Romans. And there's a difference between their mindset and John the Baptist and Jesus' mindset that we really have already seen. John chapter 3, verse 30, that's where John the Baptist says, He must increase, but I must decrease. The Jews that don't believe, they want to increase. They like their worldly power. It's not much different than when Israel said to God, you know, we want a king. Give us a king so we can be like the other nations. Even though God was to be their king, they didn't want to be a nation of God. They wanted to be a nation like the world. And that's in direct contrast to Jesus' mindset even. Jesus wasn't at all concerned about worldly power. In fact, Jesus increases by decreasing. But so in the beginning of the Gospel of John, we see that John the Baptist says, man, I've got to decrease so that Jesus can increase. But the thing is, Jesus does the same thing. Jesus increases by decreasing. By, by having pain, by facing the cross, by being a servant, Jesus increases. But maybe the Jews that don't believe, maybe they're on to something, but they don't realize it. Philippians chapter 2, verses 10 through 11, that says, So at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Every knee. Not just some knees. Not just believing knees. Not just salvific believing knees. Right? There's belief that is salvific, meaning that leads to salvation, and then there's going to come a time when every single knee confesses. The people who are not saved, the people who said they would never bow, the people who said they would never confess. So maybe they're on to something. If Jesus keeps doing what he's doing, everybody's going to believe in him. And someday that's going to be true. Not everybody's going to believe in the salvation sense, but everybody's going to believe in the sense that they're going to finally realize, man, yes, this guy is who he said he was. Verses 49 through 50 continue on. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. What do we do? Well, Caiaphas says, yeah, he should die. We should kill him so we can keep our power. 
Now notice at the end of verse 50 in the text, this is an end quote. That's where Caiaphas's words stop. And then John, the writer of the gospel, he adds some commentary to what Caiaphas says in verses 51 through 53. He did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation. And not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. So from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. Keywords. He did not say that of his own accord. But the implication being that Caiaphas, yeah, he's saying that, you know, we we should kill him and keep our power. He should die for the nation. And yeah, that's what's going to happen. Jesus is going to die for the nation. That is the plan, but not for Caiaphas' purpose, but for God's purpose. I think of Genesis 50, verse 20, Joseph's words. He says, as for you, he's talking to his brothers, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Caiaphas, the, the teachers of the law that don't believe, they mean it for evil, but that is the plan. Jesus' pain on the cross is the plan. Think of even Isaiah chapter 49, verses 6 through 7. I probably need to flip there. I don't know if I can read that from here on that. Isaiah, give me a second. Isaiah 49, verses 6 through 7. He says, It is too light a thing that you should be my servant, to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations, that my salvation may reach the end of the earth. That salvation reaching the end of the earth, not just Israel, not just a, a small location, but the end of the earth. Thus says the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel and His Holy One, to one deeply despised, abhorred by the nation, sounds a whole lot like Jesus, the servant of rulers, kings shall see and arise, princes, and they shall prostrate themselves because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel who has chosen you. And if you will indulge me for a second, I'm going to read a little past that because I read this last night and was like, wow, that seems important. Verses 8 and following, it says, Thus says the Lord, in a time of favor I have answered you. In a day of salvation I have helped you, I will keep you, and I will give you as a covenant to the people to establish the land, to apportion the desolate heritages, saying to the prisoners, come out, and those who are in darkness appear. They shall feed along the ways, on all bare heights shall be their pasture. They shall not hunger or thirst. What does Jesus say to people who come to him? You shall not hunger or thirst, neither scorching wind nor sun shall strike them, for he who has pity on them will lead them. And by springs of water will guide them. What does Jesus say about living water springing up from one's heart for those who believe? And I will make all my mountains a road, and my highway shall be raised. Behold, these shall come from afar. And behold, these from the north and from the west, and these from the land of Syene. That's the plan. Jesus was to suffer pain, to suffer pain on the cross for the nation of Israel. He's the Messiah, but not just them, but children scattered abroad, the nations, the Gentiles. You even get the sense out, obviously, from Isaiah chapter 52 and 53, the suffering servant. That is the plan. Back to John chapter 11, verses 54 through 57. We're going to wrap up here. We're going to close this passage, but we're going to not touch on some things. We'll touch on some of these contexts later, but verses 54 through 57. Jesus, therefore, no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from there to the region near the wilderness to a town called Ephraim. And there he stayed with his disciples. Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and many went up 
from the country to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. They were looking for Jesus and saying to one another as they stood in the temple, What do you think? That it will not come to the feast at all? The chief, the chief priest and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, he should let them know so that they might arrest him. Here's the thing. The Passover was a command for the Jews to keep. Numbers chapter 9, verses 1 through 3. They clearly have an expectation that Jesus is going to be there because it was a command. And he's most certainly going to be there. Right? Jesus is going to be there, but he's not going to be there to celebrate a sacrifice. He's going to be there as the sacrifice. Right? The Jews, they think they've set up a nice little trap for Jesus to kill him, but that is the plan. Jesus' pain on the cross is the plan. Now, if we're honest with ourselves, if, if we went through exactly what Jesus went through, no doubt in my mind we would put that at a 10, maybe even past the scale of pain, maybe probably greater than any pain that we've personally been in. Right, so not, not only does God know our pain, absolutely, he knows our pain. He understands what we are going through. I think he knows more than that. I think he's been in more pain than we could imagine. And because of what he did, because of the pain he endured even to death, he's gathering his children. So come. Believe, be a child of God as we stand and sing.